0: welcome to another episode of the Big J and Little J show where today we'll be talking about Duke's win on the road against Louisville they bounced back from their home loss against Pittsburgh and we'll preview Duke versus Clemson first off Connor Duke comes off that win against Clemson or against Louisville rather 69 Mark Mitchell came back uh, returned with a double double 20 points and 11 rebounds and Connor if I told you that Mark Mitchell had 20 and 12. Flip had a double-double with 15 rebounds, and Tyrese Proctor had a career night against a bad Louisville team. You would assume Duke won by 30, huh? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean,
1: I, the the one hang-up I have there is Flip has double-doubles and then he has double-doubles. Like, we've seen him have some 29 and 15s last year. Uh, what was the – the game he had earlier uh, back in December, and then you have like thirty and sixteen against one of those kind of decent mid majors. Yeah, I almost yeah. had a tr- almost had a triple double in there at some point. Like seventeen and fifteen from flip on six of sixteen shooting last night. Uh, one for six threes, and I think he took some bad threes. That was that was not a uh, stellar performance for an All American type player, but. Yeah, I, I get the gist. Like I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here a little bit, kind of to, to be a jerk. Um, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Um, you get those types of performances, and you don't expect those to have to carry you through a game against the last place team that just gave up 18 threes. I watched Louisville get run off the court uh, three days earlier in, in Winston. So. Yeah, it was it was a little bit more of a slog, uh, and then you know to to also throw in there like Duke was up 18 in the first half and looked like it was just going to run away with it. Like, you know, you at the same time that you give Louisville credit for hanging in there and fighting back, you criticize Duke for kind of letting up on the defensive end. Um, you know, right after it was 18, I think it was 38-20, then it was 38-27, and John Shire was having to call a timeout to beat the under four timeout. So, yeah, a little bit. A little bit of meat left on that bone I would say but I'd also argue that you can't really complain about road wins in the ACC I say that and I've, I've been banging the the drum of it's hard to win ACC road games and road teams are like 11 and 4 in the last week or so uh they've been making me look pretty stupid with that and I've stopped touting that stat but no, uh, it's it's hard to win on the road, and and Louisville is not the train wreck that they were last year. They have three or four players that are legitimate ACC players. They have no depth, and they they don't play very well. Like they're well, they're poorly coached team, but they're not the same four and twenty eight catastrophe that they were a year ago.
0: Yeah, of course, I was poking fun at box score watching. You see all those stats for Duke, like wow, they really hammered Louisville. And then, like you said, with context, it does not look that pretty. But to go about that run, to go into that real quick, I mean, Jeremy Roach, that's when he went down. Duke was up 18 pretty much oh my God. And then he goes down and Louisville had a seven-zero run in about 90 seconds.
1: Yeah, it, like if, if – as if you needed evidence, um, last night was the evidence that you that, – that if you needed it, it gives it to you how valuable Jeremy Roach and Mark Mitchell are to this team. Um, I don't know that there was much doubt about that. Uh, I I don't think there should have been, but maybe there would have been, but man, uh, Jeremy Roach is just so steady. He's the guy that I think Duke, both of us, as we talked on Twitter, we both think that he's the guy Duke should go to when they need a bucket. Uh, It was Tyrese Proctor last night, and that was great that he stepped up into that role. We have not seen that consistently from him in a year and a half. Um, we've not seen that carry game to game. So I'll have skepticism until he does it a few games or, or a few weeks in a row. Um, Jeremy has has done that. Like he's, he's that type of player, that type of competitor that you feel comfortable with the ball in his hands and throwing him in a pick and roll with flip, pick and pop, uh, whatever the situation is. That's the guy that you go to and then like we talked about, I think on the last episode with Mark Mitchell, he's just, he's the guy that gets down and dirty and grimy. And uh, he's, you know, I, there was one, one point in the game, I think it was the first half where Duke really needed a bucket and they went to him and he made some crazy frog leg jumper through a defender in the low post. And it was like, I don't know if he gets that off against many people, but he got it off against Louisville and it went in. So yeah you 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 need those two kids and god your heart just breaks for jeremy roach to to come back from a knee injury and now he's got a screwed up ankle and uh we're on the beat we're we're right back into jeremy roach watch um so i'll be there really early on saturday against clemson and see how much of a workout he's able to do or or how much pregame warm-ups he goes through and we'll go from there
0: yeah i mean I said on Locked On Blue Devils this week when JJ asked me about uh, what Jeremy Roach and Mark Mitchell play. And I said, as a Duke football fan, I have PTSD of rushing a guy back from injury playing at Louisville with Ryan Leonard, obviously getting turf toe against Louisville. And I know it's apples and oranges, but it is ironic that Jeremy Roach, the most important player that you and I think for this Duke team, comes back from injury. And he could have been 100% from the knee. That's fine. But then. Gets another injury leaving Louisville just like we saw Ryan Leonard against Louisville this past season.
1: God, did you see him sky for that? Was it an offensive rebound or defensive rebound? Uh oh like and right the ankle.
0: Yeah, early in the earlier in the first half. Yes.
1: Yeah, I mean like that's a I don't whatever Jeremy Roach is listed at, he's he's not that. Uh, knock a few inches off of him, just like everybody in college basketball. Like R.J. Davis is listed at six foot, and come on, but um, I mean he gets he's he's such an explosive athlete, and I still maybe I'm the only one that does it, but I still remind myself that he had a torn ACL in high school. That you know Duke stuck with him, recruiting him through the torn ACL, and I, I remember talking to him the first the first year that I was on the beat with Duke was his sophomore year. And gosh, we were talking about AJ Griffin's injury at the time because remember AJ had the preseason injury, and we weren't sure how much Duke would be able to get out of him. And I remember talking to Jeremy that year, and Jeremy brought a little perspective that was different than anybody else on Duke's roster could have brought. And he was like, "Yeah, when when you've had a blown out ACL, you think that when somebody goes down like that, they've got a torn ACL, and so you're you're always that's always in the back of your mind." and you know it's in the back of his mind whenever he has a knee injury. Um I think I wrote it. The the knee injury that he suffered against Georgia Tech was in the same knee that he blew out the ACL in. So that's that's a tough thing. And and to see him go down again. I mean, I like Jerry. like on the personal level, I like Jeremy a lot. I like talking to him. He's he's always he's never one to kind of mince words, right? He's always gonna he's never going to bullshit you in the locker room. And you'll get some guys that bullshit you in the locker room. He's not one of
0: them. So Yeah, when he went down to go to your point and our point about how important he was or he is, like people can talk about the plus minus, whatever, if it fits your narrative, if not. But it fits our narrative that when he was healthy, he was plus 18 on the court. And that was tied for first with Mark Mitchell, who I think finished with the best plus minus for Duke on the night. It might have been Proctor, but one or two and Roach was still number three as he was out for the rest of the game. But that does factor in, like, the little things of what he does and what Mark Mitchell does, and it's not a coincidence that at that moment in time when Duke was cruising up 18, your best players were Mark Mitchell and Jeremy Roach because those guys are just intertwined in different ways to help this Duke team reach a certain level that, Connor, we're not accustomed to seeing because this goes back to – If you want to count this game, Duke's played 18 games now. Seven of these games, a starter's been out. Like, I know Duke plays six guys in a rotation of starting, but at least one of those guys has been out seven times. That's insane to – that's a pretty big explanation of why Duke is inconsistent so far this season because there is no rhyme or rhythm to what's happening. John Shire's trying to set a rotation. Duke fans want Sean Stewart to get minutes. They want Ryan Young to get minutes. They want so-and-so to start. Well, Shire – he's two games away from 50% of the team or 50% of the games, a guy's not playing. That's hard yeah. to do as a coach.
1: Yeah. That's why he's, he's talked about the continuity of the roster. And, and uh, one of the things that he, that bothered him about the pick game was that missing those two guys meant that everybody was in a different spot. Like you, you remove one of those guys and you're going to have people in different types of situations. It's not, it's not like you can't fill the role. Like obviously Tyrese Proctor moved into the starting lineup when Mark was out, and they started four guards against Georgia Tech. And when Jeremy was out against Pitt, it was Jalen Blake's moving into the starting lineup. But it's it's more it's more so the connectivity. Uh, you just have guys in different spots than they're used to, and that affects the guys that are in the same spots that you that that are not like Flip. And and it affects Jared McCain. Uh, I think those are the only two that have started every game for Duke. So, yeah, it's it's a continuity and fluidity thing that, you know, you're always hoping you can stay healthy. Um, it's kind of unrealistic for teams to start the same five throughout an entire season. Uh, certainly Duke hasn't done it any of the three years that I've been on the beat. Um, and, and it's it's tough to find that type of uh, strong continuity throughout a season.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, the people that want to say when Duke lost to Pittsburgh, like to diminish the loss, try and diminish the injuries. It was just like, well, Duke should just beat Pittsburgh. That's just not how the real world is, dude. You can't just walk in with Duke on your chest and think, since we're in Pittsburgh across theirs, you're going to beat them. And it shows you lose two – I mean, they're two all-ACC caliber players. Like Mark Mitchell has really put on a tear since – in the last – basically 2024 since 2024 the calendar year flipped he's reached another level
1: i would say mark mitchell should be on the all acc defensive team
0: because like yeah.
1: that's, that's five players he should he's one of the five best defensive players in the acc and you know jeremy roach uh, especially when it was a starting lineup of him and two freshman guards with tyrese coming off the bench or when tyrese was hurt jeremy roach has been getting the assignment on the other team's toughest guard um and he was on miles kelly against georgia tech giving up a lot of inches in that matchup um trying to remember other games uh he started against judah Mintz in the syracuse game so and, and not positive on the notre dame matchup i want to say that he started that game against marcus burton they're really good freshman guard so yeah it's it's I put this on the message board uh, going into the pit game. Um, I use EvanMaya.com. It it breaks down lineups really well. So I took Duke's uh, twelve most frequent five-player lineups and sorted them all by defensive efficiency. And the the top six lineups in Duke's def- defensive efficiency, there's two players that are in every single all six of those lineups. And you know where I'm going with this. The two players are Jeremy Roach and Mark Mitchell. Like by that definition, those are Duke's two most defen- two most important defensive players. So you remove them from the equation and then you throw in the fact that it's a week-long break, uh, they're coming off, they're, they're missing two guys, Pitt got embarrassed by Duke 11 days prior. Jeff Cable gets really fired up for his teams to play down here. Like he wants to win at Duke and at UNC as much as humanly possible. I think he would schedule like four games a year at both of those places. If he could, um, when Pitt goes up nine, nothing, like that was the deciding run of that game. Duke outscored Pitt by five for the rest of the game. Yeah. Um, Pitt just threw haymaker after haymaker and stayed ahead for the entire game. And you go back to how Duke started that game, and it was was an awful start. And you're missing those two guys. You give up a bunch of easy shots, and you let Blake Henson get a clean look on his first shot. And the basket looks like it's throwing a beach ball in the ocean for the rest of the game for him, even when he's off balance throwing up a one-handed prayer trying to get a foul call. So – you know, it's it's not too hard to understand after when you when you take all of it and bundle it into a package after the game.
0: Yeah, that and I try to remind people too, Pittsburgh was an NCAA tournament team last year. They won to play yeah, in the first round. And they returned a lot of their production. Henson was one of them. It wasn't I know they were one in five going into Duke and in Conference play, but that's just because they weren't living up to their standard. They they have a talent on that roster. They just haven't played well as a team, and Henson just carried them on his back.
1: Yeah, they they've got a lot of pride. Uh, is what I would go with. I, I was kind of surprised that they wanted Georgia Tech uh, last night because I thought they would take a step back. And what what was Blake Henson last night? Something like one for eight, or it was like
0: I think it was three of eight for eight points or nine points. Okay, yeah, um, which is that goes up, on par with him because he is the streakiest and yeah, the streakiest shooter in college basketball.
1: Yeah, I mean he's gonna get his shots and. <laughs> they all happen to go in against Duke.
0: But, yeah. Uh... Well, you know what's crazy, Connor, too, is they played last night. They beat Georgia Tech, and those were the two teams that beat Duke. And the one common denominator about those is Duke was missing a starter because Proctor went out the first minute of the game against Georgia Tech. So, yep. the thing is, at the end of the day, is we don't know truly what Duke's ceiling is. Like, we want, we can guesstimate. They're like, hey, this is a first weekend team This is a sweet 16 team but you know we haven't seen them enough to be full strength Is this team can they make a deep run like elite eight we don't know and I think it's I think it's unfair for these guys because UNC's cruising RJ Davis is our ACC player your favorite right now but you can't count out Duke in this rivalry because you see them cruising because we don't know what Duke is and I will trust Jire when it comes to that game.
1: Are we, are we skipping ahead a week and talking about the Carolina
0: game already? No, no, no. We won't, we won't skip ahead, but I just wanted to get that off my chest because that was bothering me from seeing, like, Duke fans on Twitter, like, Duke's going to get smoked by UNC and stuff. And I'm like, Duke was by far the most superior team in the rivalry going into Co- Coach K's final home game, and Duke didn't basically practice all week and got embarrassed on national television to a bad UNC team, and that sparked UNC's run to March. So
1: anything's so possible. possible. Those 90-some white quarter zips will never leave my brain, the the lasting image of all the former players standing behind Duke's bench that night. Um, but, no, I you know, I, I've been thinking about this over the last day or two. Uh, I think I've seen two teams this year that can win the national championship and wind up being like, no shit, they won the national championship. They were the best team of the year. Uh, I would say those two teams are Arizona and Carolina. Um, I'm talking in person. Like I got to see at UNC when Wake went there on Monday. Um, I, I don't know if this Duke team can win a national championship. That's not to say, you know, sell them down the river and wait till next year with Cooper flag and, and the whole bunch. Um, I just, there's too many flaws. The suit, the, the argument the. That argument, but the the thought I had last night is, is I just keep landing on I don't know who drives the bus for this Duke team. Like I don't know who their kind of you know it it's cliche to call it a heart and soul, but I go to I don't know who their engine is. Like I don't I some nights like last night it was Tyrese Proctor. Uh, some nights it could be Filipowski. We've seen it be Mark Mitchell a time or two. Um. We both think it should be Jeremy Roach, but if he can't stay healthy, then that's going to be an issue. And Jared McCain, when we talked about when he gets hot, just feed him the ball. Cause his shot is just so pure and so rep- repetitive. Um, But I just go to you, you need to have an answer for that. And I know that Carolina's answer is RJ Davis. Uh, I know that Arizona's answer is, "Hey, love it or not, Caleb Love." Yeah. Um, you just you have to have that guy. Um, Purdue it's Zach Eady. Like you can go down the list of of championship contenders, and and pick out that guy who the engine is. And uh, I think Duke. I, if there's one thing Duke has to figure out over the next six weeks, I would say that's the one.
0: Well, to go off of that, Connor, I was told you before the show I wanted. To- talk about Duke shooting splits and to go to this argument for you and us with roaches. I didn't write, I did not write roaches down because his was the most consistent. I think he was about 47% from the field at home or 47 from three, 42 from uh percent on the road and then 15 points per game on both sides. But for his teammates, I've for people like not accustomed to shooting splits normally, most teams and not all teams shoot better at home than on the road, but it's normally like a percentage five or 7% difference. Dukes is crazy. And I'm just going to name them. So we'll start with Philipowski. Filipowski is 54% from the field, 49 from three, 19 points per game at home. Then it's 45% from the field on the road, 27% from three, which goes to his one for six uh, last night and 17 points per game. But, Yes, the points per game is only two points per game difference, but it's more volume, so it's ineffective in the offense. So it's not and different points-wise, but shooting-wise.
1: The three-point three percentage is boosted by a – was he four for five or four for four at Pitt?
0: Yeah, he didn't miss. I think he yeah. was five for five at pit. And that's just one. And then Jared McCain is the same way. Jared McCain, he uh, in the Louisville game last night, he did come up huge with that three in the corner kind of – really clinched for Duke and then had a layup. So that was five of his 10 points. But on the road, he is, we'll go home again. Home, 51%, 49%, 88% from the line, 14 points per game. On the road, 30% from the field, 24% from three, 71% from the free throw line, and seven points per game. So half of his, he was 14 points per game in Cameron, seven points per game on the road. That's staggering. And then the, The man of the night that we should probably talk about a little bit more is Tyrese Proctor. We'll talk about this after the shooting splits because I have Proctor and Foster next and we'll talk about them intertwining. Tyrese Proctor shooting splits at home, 53%, 43 from three, 77 from the line, 13 points per game, pretty solid. On the road, this takes account for last night's uh, career performance, 33% from the field, 24 from the line, or 24 from three, 60% from the free throw line, eight points per game. And then last one that I have written down is Caleb Foster's. This, this one makes no, like I had to look at this three different times to realize what I was looking at from the <laughs> at home, uh field goal percentage, 43%, 31% from the free, uh, from three point line, 31% from three point line, 74% from the line, nine, nine points per game. This is where it's crazy. Away, 49%. 62% from three-point line. So he's 31% from three at home, 62% on the road. And then at home at the free throw line, Connor O'Neill, he is 33%. So he has a 31% difference in three-point shooting. He shoots better at on the road than at home. And then at home, he shoots 74% from the line. On the road, he shoots 33%. That he's, is the crazy Newton.
1: Neutral
0: end away games or just away games? I, I go to ESPN.com and just did splits, home and away splits. So I'm not sure what, like, what counters with that. But I would I would assume uh, the Michigan State game is home because Duke was a home team in that neutral court.
1: That's not how it should work.
0: Well, I, I'm just going off the top of my head. I am not sure. But I just went, ESPN had home and away splits. I read them. And that would make the most sense because – Well, no, it wouldn't make no sense because of uh, the three-point percentage. I don't know. Maybe it does its own thing. Maybe it separates neutral altogether. But I've never seen that big of a drastic difference from 31% difference on three-point shooting splits and 41% difference on free-throw shooting percentage.
1: Yeah, he needs to get into Cameron. (laughs)
0: Yeah, he needs to go with Jared McCain. You can post a Twitter video again and make that one go viral.
1: I'm not doing that until next year.
0: (laughs) And so this leads me, Connor, to – but on to talk about with Caleb Foster. He was the best player arguably for Duke in the loss against Pittsburgh. He had 16 points, six rebounds, five assists, and three steals. And then he follows that up with zero points on zero for two with two rebounds, two assists, and two turnovers in 26 minutes. And six conference games in 2024, Connor, that Pittsburgh game is the only game he scored in double figures. So Duke obviously demoted uh, Tyrese Proctor to the bench for this past game in Louisville. I would assume that that flips, if Roach is good to go, that Caleb Foster will come off the bench against Clemson.
1: I honestly wouldn't change it if I was John, uh, especially because, like I talked about a little bit with in regard to the pick game, he he wanted to see them start games better. Um, I talked about this with JJ in, in my recording this week with JJ on Locked On. Um, I they were down 9-8 in the in the opening minutes last night, but Louisville hit two threes. Um, they were good looks, but Louisville's not a three-point shooting team that, that very well. Uh, they've been hot lately, but they wound up five for 17. So those were – you can look back on those and say they were two flukish plays. Duke started the game pretty well after that. Uh, if I was John, I would stick with the starting lineup that got you off to a good start and, you know, ran the opening set is what I think about, uh, perfectly executed flip in the high post gets a dump off to Mark for a dunk. Like that's what you want to see from the opening tip on the road to get up a good start. And look, I, you say you want to Tyrese, uh, you want Tyrese in the starting lineup because he just had a good game. I say he just had a good game coming off the bench. Keep him coming off the bench. He's still going to play, you know, 28 to 32 minutes if he's playing well. So that's I would keep him in that role.
0: Yeah, no, that that's very valid. That's very valid. And I just – Caleb Foster is just
1: inconsistent at this point. Like, he he is a freshman guard who's learning on the fly. He's inconsistent. Um
0: It goes with the injuries too. Like sometimes his his role needs to be extended and that's what it was against Pittsburgh and he shined. And then there's other times where it's like, Hey, know your role. And I think he's just in that weird predicament where he doesn't know what that role is. So you get these zero to five point performances because they don't need him to score 15 or more. That's for a Jeremy Roach. Yeah.
1: It's, I think Caleb Foster is going to be fine. Um, I, I still think he's, he's got a hell of a future. I just, he's inconsistent right now and consistency comes over time. And as rare as it is to say about two players, like you, you want, you get accustomed to all these one and dones, or if they're not uh, superstars right away, you start worrying about them transferring. I don't think they're in danger of that with Caleb. I just think that you, you want to see consistency from him. Maybe it comes later this year with more experience, but more likely it comes next year.
0: Well, that, wants to go to my next point Connor is Duke fully healthy seven man rotation seven and a half if you want to count like whatever Duke does with Sean Stewart and Ryan hey man
1: Sean Stewart had six rebounds
0: like yeah yeah he did three offensive too like he his energy's there it's just it can he do it consistently that's the only thing with him
1: that's that's the other like that's freshman for you um Jared McCain you're you're good you're getting consistency from not not 15 points a night, good, but he's he's there. Um, then you just got two inconsistent freshmen with Sean Stewart and Caleb Foster. And man, I'll tell you what, the pit game, uh, there was one sequence where Duke had a defensive rebound. Like Filipowski was bringing in a defensive rebound, and all of a sudden Sean Stewart comes in out of nowhere and knocks the ball out of his hands. <laughs> and it goes for a pit offensive rebound. And I think it was Ish Leggett hit a jumper later on that possession. Well, in the middle of, between Duke's first or uh, Pitt's first shot and Pitt's second shot of that possession after Sean Stewart knocked the ball away from flip flip is like screaming at him in the middle of the play. And it's, it's like, okay, number one, flip probably can't do that uh, with a freshman. Like that's kind of being an asshole Um, Two, Sean Stewart. Like your teammate is bringing in a rebound, go run the floor. Uh, He doesn't, it's, it's just there's there's boundless energy with Sean Stewart, and I, I put this on the board too. I think I think part of it is when he gets in games now, he feels like he's got to overcompensate and do what he did in the beginning of the season where he was getting a lot of rebounds and block shots. He feels like he's got to maximize his minutes, and it's leading to a lot of wasted energy. It's leading to him getting out of position, trying to block shots that he has no business trying to block, like the goaltending last night. He should have been called for a second goaltending. It's a good thing they didn't – it's a good thing for my purposes because I hate review, and it's a good thing for Duke that they didn't review it because that ball was on the way down. But, yeah, it's – he's got to find his role, and I, I think he does have a role against certain teams. Like we talked about this early in the year. Brian Young has a role against certain teams, and Sean Stewart has a role against certain teams. And I think against your more athletic front courts that's where you play Sean Stewart and Louisville make no mistake about it. Like that's one of the most athletic front courts in the ACC. Um, if you want to skip ahead, Carolina has one of the most athletic front courts in the ACC. That is a game that you should count on seeing Sean Stewart 10 to 12 minutes.
0: I um, think you think uh, Clemson will be a game where it's more Ryan young. Cause that's one thing Shire does. There's no, like people think that when, Sean Stewart plays 15 minutes against Louisville. That's going to translate to 15 minutes against Clemson. That might be four minutes against Clemson.
1: Yeah. No. Have you seen Ian Shiflin and PJ Hall? Like PJ Hall is really athletic, but I would say it's going to be flip against, uh, Shif, uh, flip against Hall. Hmm. And when you have Sean Stewart or Ryan Young in the game, it's more likely going to be Ryan Young on Ian Shiflin, who is Clemson's glue guy. I think he's actually, I think he's a better rebounder than PJ Hall. Um, he just clears out so much space. Like I, I, it's going to be Ryan Young banging down low against him.
0: Yeah, he was their best player against uh, UNC, which I was going to, which I want to talk about too, real quick. Cause this is one thing I like to do is compare and Duke to Carolina. Because I agree with you that Carolina is one of the few teams that national championship caliber team. But I really don't think Duke's that far. I said, which is a shout out again, locked on with JJ. I said on Monday's episode with him that. UNC was only up six points against uh, Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh with four minutes, a little over four minutes left. And then they get in a and UNC pulls away. And against Clemson, when Clemson was ranked 16th in the country, they were tied at halftime. And then Clemson just could not hit the broad side of the bar, bar and scored 21 points the second half. And they were one of 18 from three, Connor. Like I know Duke fans always say other teams shoot lights out against Duke, but UNC held them to one of eighteen. That's five percent. If they make just three of those, it's a one point game. And PJ Hall and uh Gerrard are their two of their best players for Clemson, not the best players, but two of the I would say top three or four players for them. Oh
1: and, yeah, no, they're the two best.
0: You yeah, got it. well, I was saying Shif too, because Shifein had a career game against uh Clint, against UNC, but Gerard was one of ten over four from three, and PJ Hall is four of thirteen oh of five from three. Like yeah, that you take a historically cold night for them against UNC, like they just get lukewarm, they're winning that game. And I think Duke – that's where I just see Duke and Carolina are closer than people think because it took Clemson to go very ice cold against this Carolina team, and Duke's going to go into Clemson or play Clemson. I want your preview of that as we wrap up. But also North Carolina against Pittsburgh, they are fully – they had everybody, and they still were – on the verge of possibly being upset only up six points with four and a half minutes left. And Duke was out two starters. So I just, I can't wait for that matchup, obviously Duke Carolina, but now they're both relevant again after a year off with UNC going through turmoil and the whole kale bluff thing. But this will, this leads me Connor to your preview with Clemson. What is the takeaway for you? What is the key for Duke to beat Clemson this weekend?
1: I think it's disrupting Clemson's offense. Um, like I, I've been one of Brad Brownell's most stringent defenders over the years. Like I think he has a really nice system and usually leads to really good defensive teams. And I think you win with defense in in the ACC, especially as a school like Clemson. Like you can when you can recruit and select the way that schools like Duke do, you can. Out, offense anybody. You can outscore anybody. I think the teams like Clemson that are not at that level of recruiting um, should build their build their program foundation from the defensive end. I say all that. Clemson's not very good defensively. Like Duga's going to be able to score against Clemson. Uh, it's more how up and down is it going to be? Um, if if you let Clemson get out and run, if you let Joe Girard get hot, they'll start burning you. Um, I want to, I want to look this up cause, uh, I remember it being pretty bad from last year. Um, Joe Girard came to Duke last year was five for 12 for 21 points. Um, so I must be thinking of the wrong game. It was, uh, seven for 16 was the year before, I guess he's. He's played decent. I gotta, I gotta refresh my memory.
0: <laughs> I'm the same way, so it's okay.
1: No, no, no. Here it was. It was uh, late January in the COVID year. They're um, not, not COVID year, but the 21-22 season. K's last year. Uh, he came, he came to Duke, and uh, after actually lighting up Clemson for 23 points, and was three for 13 with seven points and three turnovers. Um, that's that's the Joe Gerard that I remember. anyway, uh, he's having a nice season. like i'm not I'm not trying to bash the kid, but um, I think you stop him. then you worry about pJ Hall. I, I don't think it's the other way around. I, I think that you stop you don't let Joe Gerard get comfortable the same way you theoretically don't let Blake Henson get comfortable. That plan went to shit in the first couple minutes against Pitt. but um if you have PJ Hall going off, he's he's gonna get his points and he's gonna get his shots. Um, you can't let him draw fouls and get flip out of the game or or deplete your front court with Young and Stewart. Uh Mitchell for that matter, too. So
0: and Duke is threatened again with the roach injury to be determined if he will suit up Saturday. But I Jared McCain posted a TikTok with Roach in the background on crutches going onto the team playing. So if I had to guess, he crutches the end of, As a guy that's had an ankle several ankle sprains, crutches immediately after the game, today, tomorrow, walking boot, all day, every day, elevate it. Friday, give it a go in practice, see how you go. Saturday, go through, walk through, see how it plays, and it'll be a game time decision Saturday. If that's just from personal experience from a Tuesday to Saturday game, but – thing with ankles dude you just never know you just never know
1: yeah i've i've said it about ankles and knees man ankles and knees you never know the recoveries and it's whether whether it's a torn achilles or a blown acl or just sprains like they're they're literally the two body parts you got four of them on your body um just you never know what the recovery timeline is i i hate when People even put timelines on it, like, "Oh, he's got an ACL and he's got a torn ACL. He's going to be out for a year." Like,
0: so, yeah, Clemson.
1: Yeah. Clemson just had that receiver a few years ago come back from an ACL in like five months. Um,
0: yeah. Some people,
1: some some guys that have had had ACL injuries, will tell you, "Yeah, they rehabbed and the doctors said they could play a year later, but it wasn't until two years after that they were mentally past it." And they were able to actually trust that they could plant and do everything that they could on that knee before the injury. So throw everything, every timeline you see about an ankle or a knee injury, throw it out the window. It does not mean anything.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And my takeaway or my key to the game, Connor, is Roach has to play for one is my ideal key of the game. But if he does not play, then, Proctor has to step up and show two consecutive games of being an all-ACC guard because he has not done that this season for me. And I'm not saying score 24 against Clemson, but you can play – you can score 15 and still play like you scored 24. You know what I mean? Like, he can really show the caliber. And the one thing – he had 24-4 and against uh, Louisville, but he had zero rebounds. You're a big guard, baby. You got to get in there and crash. You got to get some boards. And gang rebound against this Clemson team. But, yeah, Proctor – Proctor overflip for me in terms of who, why Duke wins this game.
1: Yeah. I always think about a little side note, anecdote. Um, I don't know how many of our listeners will appreciate this, but I remember uh, back in the day I was covering NC state for Burlington and Scott Wood was at the podium and somebody's microphone picked him up. Like we were, it was before actual interviews started. And players get the stat sheet in front of them, and they're looking at the stat sheet. And Scott Wood was caught on a microphone saying, "Like, shit, I didn't get one rebound. How does a ball not just bounce to you in the in the middle of a game? Like, it's a forty-minute game. Not one ball. Like, I can't even get one." I always think I always think of that when a guy plays a ton and scores a bunch or has a really good game, but has that zero in the rebound category. Yeah. I was, when when Flip had the zero rebound game against Pitt last year in the ACC tournament game, I was like, I was right there sitting about thinking about Scott Wood with zero rebounds,
0: and that that's even more insane because he's a four. Like the probability yeah. of him having zero rebounds is crazy. But yeah, Proctor played I think thirty five minutes and had zero rebounds. So I'd like to him at least have three or more against Clemson. But
1: as you do some box score watching,
0: box score watching, but also watching why we can't gang rebound and get <laughs> defensive rebounds, but. Connor, brother, I appreciate it as always. This is another episode of the Big J and Little J Show, and then we'll talk about Duke again next week as we preview Duke UNC. Sounds good.